Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. We've been talking this month about how God is ascending God, how we are sent people and that that doesn't necessarily always look like what we may envision that send, sentness to look like. Um, sometimes we're sent and we don't go anywhere. Not because we're disobedient, but because we are where we are sent to. <laughs> sometimes God sends us to where we were born and that is where we've been sent. Sometimes God sends us to somewhere far away, a place that we're very unfamiliar with and everywhere in between. See, living out our sentness does not always mean that we are physically going somewhere. We serve a God who may ask us to get up and go somewhere far away. He may ask us to stay put and simply be in prayer for someone or some place. And he may even send us someone to where we are. <laughs> Again, the key to our faithfulness is obedience to the Spirit's leading under the authority of Scripture, and that we obey what the Spirit calls us to do under the authority of God's Word. You see, God has called us to Himself and to His mission in such a compelling way that regardless of your station or season, whether you are old or young, whether you are in a hospital or whether you are in an elementary school, whether you are at home or at work, whether you are active and able to move around freely or if you're somewhat sedentary because of maybe issues in your body or your life, living out our sentness is achievable and undeniable because God knows us and he knows where we are and he knows the plans he has for us. So this morning, as we continue to talk about this sentness, I wanna talk about two things involved in how we are sent that are achievable for every single person, no matter who you are or what's going on in your life. These two things that are accessible in our sentness is that we can pray and we can be a people of welcome. You don't need an education to pray or be a people of welcome. You don't need a title an official title to be, be praying and be a people of welcome. You don't need anything but the Holy Spirit in your life and a willingness to step into what God sets before you. Prayer is, oddly enough, the most powerful and productive activity, activity that we as human beings can do, can we, we can participate in. And I feel like there is this tension, at least for me, maybe for you, that prayer is this thing that, that I can't see. And sometimes when I'm praying for something and something happens, I can also explain that by other events. And so I think prayer is often hard, but, but here's the reality. Prayer is the most accessible thing in our lives, and it is the most powerful and effective thing that we can be part of. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah prayed for, for a long time that she would have a child. And eventually, through prayer, God gave her a child. In Acts 12, 
Peter was in prison and the believers in a little house prayed that he would be delivered. And you know what? They didn't even really believe that he was gonna be delivered from prison. And I say that because of their response when he showed up at the door. <laughs> that the, the, the girl who answered the door came and said, Peter's there. And they said, no, it must be someone else. <laughs> But through prayer, the prison door that Peter was held behind was opened. In 2 Kings 19, King Hezekiah in Jerusalem was surrounded by 185,000 Assyrian troops ready to besiege and attack the city. And he prayed that God would act to protect and save Jerusalem. And overnight, without one Israeli Israelite soldier going outside of the city of Jerusalem, all 185,000 Assyrian troops were gone because God answered prayer. Jairus, the soldier in the Roman army, came to Jesus and prayed with him that he would heal his daughter. And on the way to heal his daughter, he got word that his daughter died. So Jesus got distracted by someone else with needs. And so Jesus didn't heal his daughter. He actually just raised her from the dead <laughs> through prayer. Moses, in prayer, asked to see God. And so God granted that prayer. And God came by and showed Moses his backside. And Moses, just seeing the backside of God, caused a change in him so significant that he was shining that he was illuminated so much that when the, the Israelites saw Moses, they were afraid because he had some, in some unbelievable way, he, he was not just reflecting but containing some of God's glory and it made him a shining one. That the, 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 they thought of the angelic hosts and the spiritual beings as shining ones. They saw that in Moses and he had to veil his face. That's how God answered that prayer. For Moses, Elisha standing in the camp with his servant and they're surrounded by an enemy army and Elisha prays that God would open the eyes of his servant to see what he saw. And so God opens the eyes of his servant and he sees an angelic army surrounding the army that surrounded them. And then Elisha prays again that that, that, that enemy army would be, be struck with blindness and it happened and he led the army away from the Israelites. A thief on a cross next to Jesus prays and asks Jesus, please remember me when you come into your inheritance. And Jesus responds to that prayer and says, today you will be with me in paradise. And it's interesting, we don't question any of those, do we? Because we, we see that in the Bible. The swift and powerful movement of the Spirit recorded in Acts was not only initiated by prayer, but it was fueled and sustained by prayer as well. The early church was a praying church, and through prayer alone, they accomplished things like opening prison doors. Fanatical opponents, by just praying for them, they were struck down and converted to Christ and became the mouthpiece of the gospel of Jesus to all the nations. All kinds of things were done. See, the early church knew the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer, not just theoretically, but experientially. They, they knew what God was doing and, and how vital and important it was to be a praying people, a praying church. 
They prayed because they were filled with the Spirit and they were filled with the Spirit because they prayed. It's one of those things of asking, hey, where do I start? Do I start with being filled with the Spirit or praying? It's like the chicken and the egg thing, right? Pray so that you'll be filled with the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit so that you can pray. And, and so the church saw that and they, and they understood that. You see, the movement of God throughout history, what we see is always preceded by prayer. Always, is always preceded by prayer. Prayer draws us into this intimacy with Jesus to know God's heart and his mind and his will and, and it extends our reach beyond our imagination. As I was thinking about how prayer does these things that you don't even have to be present for. I was thinking about in our modern military, we have drone warfare. And regardless of your stance on drone warfare, all of that, here's the reality, is that we have technology that a guy can sit in like Arkansas in a trailer and control an unmanned aerial vehicle on the other side of the globe and have real consequence. And we believe that that happens because we've seen it, because we believe in technology, don't we? We believe that we have the technology to do those things. But do you realize that, that prayer is like that in the sense that we can be right here in our homes, in a hospital bed, in a nursing home, at a school, at work, and we can be praying and affect something in a place that we couldn't even access but how much more do we believe in the technology of drones than we do in the power of prayer that we can't understand and see exactly how God works? Because frankly, church, the power of prayer is far more consequential than a drone going out and being controlled by someone. It's interesting, and, and I don't know if you, you face this at all, but you know, we... We worship a God who was raised from the dead. And oftentimes, we have a hard time hearing stories of the miraculous and fantastic stories. We have a hard time saying, well, did that really happen? <laughs> Yet our faith is built and founded on a guy who was raised from the dead. So it was interesting this week as I was um, preparing and, and walking through the message. Um, I was reminded of, of a book by Arthur Wallace, who was uh, born in Dublin. He was a pastor in Great Britain a um, number, number, number of years ago. Um, and there's a story in, in his book on prayer it's a pretty phenomenal story, but it also is probably uncomfortable for some of us because some of the parts of the story, we probably would say, huh, did that, did that really happen? And so that story was brought to my mind and I thought, I'm gonna share that story. And then, to be completely honest, as I went through, I went through this kind of moment of saying, you know what? I almost feel like I need to tone down the story because... Not everybody, but there's just a, there's people who just 
maybe are bent towards skepticism. And I just thought, I don't wanna deal with that this week. So it'd be way easier for me not to share the story. It's funny how the Spirit brought my mind back to this thing of, um, so what have you been talking about? Faithfulness and obedience and that kind of stuff? And so I wanna, I wanna just, I just wanna read the story. Um, it's, it's actually a story about four people who, um, who practiced intercession, intercessory prayer for their lives and how one account of a night that they were praying together and how God moved in a way in them in Great Britain to support and pray for and affect something happening to people that they didn't even know. And there's prayers and there's visions and revelations and nothing that's, that's outside of scripture, but, but we might be tempted to say, okay, but did they really experience that? Which then what hit me was, well, did Elisha really experience what he experienced? <laughs> and so uh, the story, they tell the story and they say, let me tell you what God did for us one night recently. We started as we always do by being led of the Spirit of God into deep worship and praise. As we worshiped and sought God, we became aware that we were again in the secret hiding place into which God had brought us. This place had been brought into, this place we had been brought into after months of consistent praying two, three, or more hours a night, four nights a week. It's a special place of hiding and safety from which we can do battle against the powers of darkness for God's people. It's not an end in itself, but it's a stopping place along the way for a special purpose. This night, a brother was with us, B. He's a friend who had a similar ministry and knows how to do battle against the enemy. At the beginning of our prayer time, we did not understand what God was doing, but as we followed the Spirit of God and deeper, we became aware of two things. Firstly, there was a deep sorrow of spirit and with weeping and crying for some of his people who were suffering and in very great need. Who they were, we had not been shown. Secondly, in running parallel with the sorrow and travail was an acute awareness that we were up against the very strong powers of darkness in this matter. As we continued in the spirit, K was shown in the mid heavens a throne seat with a being enthroned on it. Before this throne stood a group of demons armed and set in battle array. Then we knew we were up against a principality. We continued to see God standing on his word with strong praise and dependence on the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ and the triumph of his cross. Gradually, God showed us for whom we were praying. Looking down from the heavenly place we were in, Kay could see a number of little grass huts hidden in a swamp. With deep sorrow and weeping, she told us what God was showing her. Christians tortured, sick, suffering, hungry, and hiding in a swamp. To us, this bore the witness of the Spirit upon us. With outstretched hands, we pleaded their cause before the Father and stayed pleading until he had filled our hands with supplies for their need. But we were in heavenly places and they were in a swamp. We could not take these supplies ourselves. We sought God until he reminded us of his angel, angelic messengers and permitted us to ask him to send them in our stead. Then we could hand over, as it were, to the appointed angels, the succor God had given us for the brethren and wait until the angel contingent was on its way to meet their need. As we waited, God showed us a further need requiring urgent attention. 
Kay saw a Christian who had been tortured, mercilessly beaten and kicked into insensibility. Being dragged along the ground, he hung his head in unconsciousness and he had a mortal wound in his left side. Much of the pain of his suffering she felt in her own body so that she cried out in pain. With this before we cry, with this before us, we cried to God for this brother. God showed us that this was his key man and he needed him alive, but he was so badly injured that apart from a miracle of God, he could not survive. With many tears and groanings that were too deep for words, we sought God for our beloved brother. After we had prayed in this way for some time, we became aware that Jay was speaking almost in a whisper. Then our weeping hushed. We waited before God while the Holy Spirit took of, of the heart's cry of one who in his own unconsciousness could not speak for himself and poured it out to the Father through Jay as he lay not on a filthy prison floor but on the carpet thousands of miles away. As we listened, we marveled at the beauty of this man's spirit. Tears streamed down our face. We heard whispers and, and, and halting as from the lips of one whose physical life was ebbing fast. They go on to say that they, they could hear and feel the, the hopelessness in a moment in this man's heart as he felt that he was dying, but then the hope of the spirit as they prayed started to move in them. They said, suddenly breaking into the flow of scripture came a cry of fear. Oh God, I'm so cold. What is happening to me? Is this death? Oh my God, save me. Now I know you want me to live, but this coldness, it's creeping over me. Oh God, save me. Realizing what was happening to our brother, the three of us who were watching took this matter up with the Father urgently, desperately, until the Holy Spirit poured faith into our hearts and gave us the authority to rebuke the angel of death and turn him back. When the Holy Spirit had finished and the words which poured from Jay's lips were psalms of praise in the midst of suffering, it was given to others of us to join in and lift the heart's cry of our unconscious brother to God. Father, I believe you. Father, I believe you. At last we knew the Holy Spirit had gained from the Father that which he desired and we were freed from our task. We rested in the presence of the Lord and could now speak to each other again. Kay said, one thing I do not understand is the way that man was dressed. He was clothed in a golden garment which covered his head and his whole body right down to his feet like a spacesuit. B replies, yes, sister. He was clothed in a garment of faith. Remember 1 Peter 1.7, the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it be tried by fire. That's how God saw him clothed with faith. How often have we woken up in the middle of the night and not been able to go back to sleep and assume it's just restlessness and maybe take a Tylenol PM to get back to sleep when maybe the Spirit's moving in us to pray for someone we know or don't know because prayer is real and powerful and effective and consequential. See, that's, that's what prayer does in us. Prayer focuses us, our, our whole being on the heartbeat of God. As your prayer life deepens, your heart breaks for the things that breaks God's hearts. Andrew Murray in, in, in his book on prayer says this, he says, some people pray just to pray and some people pray to know God. How much of my prayer life is business transactions with God versus actually praying to know him deeply and desperately. 
See, that's the beauty. It doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. You can pray. And you can affect more things in, on your knees than you can affect physically. <laughs> the other thing that is accessible to all of us is welcoming, is receiving those who God has placed in our midst, no matter who they are, whether they're a neighbor or someone who we run into uh, while we're out shopping or, or whatever that is, or people maybe in our life who, who maybe we just don't feel like we have time for, or people who are completely other of us. It's interesting, in, in the law in the Old Testament, God gave very specific commands on how Israel was to treat the foreigner in their midst. Someone who came from another nation into the midst of Israel. Within the law of Moses, there are over 40 commands for Israel to love the foreigner among them. <laughs> Exodus 23, 9 says, you shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. It says in Deuteronomy 10, 18, he says, God executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. God keeps bringing them back to this place to say, look, you were foreigners once in a strange land and, and you needed to be welcomed and cared for. And he says, so you do the same as those come. It's interesting because in the law, there are also very clear commands about not, not intermarrying and, and becoming, taking on the gods of these foreigners to make sure that they stay true to the one true God because he's a jealous God and he, he alone deserves their love and worship. But at the same time, he says, when you see these people, don't be drawn to their gods, but you draw them to me. See, the bottom line is that we were, in fact, foreigners to God, and he welcomed us and received us into fellowship with himself. See, our posture of welcoming and receiving is the Great Commission in reverse. Instead of going somewhere to proclaim the gospel, it's someone coming to us, crossing our path, coming into our life to share the gospel with. And it's just as effective. We just have to be aware of it and look. And there's so many ways. See, without even leaving Modesto, you can reach areas of the world close to the gospel without a passport, without raising any support, and you will most likely not even get arrested. <laughs> without even leaving your neighborhood. See, God is constantly sending people to us. God's ascending God. God sends us, but he also sends people to us. And, and, the, and the thing that maybe is a little bit frustrating is that we don't get to pick who God sends to us. <laughs> he sends all kinds of people to us. God has sent, like even thinking about from the farthest reaches, God has sent international students, refugees, and even, this is uncomfortable, but even some who come to us through questionable avenues and might be here for a while and then sent back if they're caught. But make no mistake that if you come across someone 
It's for their salvation. And they may be sent back. Which if you took the opportunity to show Jesus to them, then maybe you're sending a missionary back for the cause of Christ. I was, I was talking to Wes Jang, who works with uh, World Relief here in town. And we have so many refugees who've been resettled here in Modesto in the Central Valley, and most of them come from the 1040 window, which is that place on the globe that is the least reached and has mo the most unreached people globally, that they don't even know that there is a Jesus or that there is a gospel. Last year, World Relief resettled 308 refugees in the Central Valley, many here in Modesto. This year, they anticipate 475-plus refugees being resettled in our area. That we can reach, like Andy shared, people in a place that Andy could never go to. <laughs> he couldn't take it. His, his wife and kids, they couldn't go to Afghanistan but they were able to affect and even read about Yahweh, the one true God in the book of Genesis with some people who haven't met him yet. There are international students at universities and colleges all over this country. And it's interesting because when we start to talk about universities and colleges, we've got a lot of negative things to talk about and rightly so, because there's a lot of messed up things. But you know what? is something that's not messed up, is that there are over 750,000 students who study in the U.S. from 188 countries, and 60% of those are from the 1040 window. Right here. In our midst. Isn't it wild to think that students are coming from these places right to where we can ex they're accessible to us. Imagine if, if we were serious about caring for them and loving them and showing them the love of Jesus. It is, it is already a system of spreading the gospel to all places because they come and then they go back without even having a sending agency, with, with, with no support funding. You know, that happened here and you saw it not long ago when we had our last one big service. We had baptism and Christine and Amber were up here. Remember Amber who is from India? And she came here because she wanted to learn more about being baptized as a Christian. And she didn't know much. And it was here that she befriended some people from our church. And she was up here being baptized and she gave her testimony in front of you all. And then we got to watch and be a part of her speaking in her own heart language to her mother and her family, telling them what God and what Jesus has done. Like, how awesome is that? Very few of us will, will ever go to India <laughs> to share and proclaim the gospel to people. But it was done here. And we got to see it and be a part of that. Mark Renz, who's the director of the American Language and Cultural Program, they did a survey of 3,000 international students 
about their experience in the US. And uh, one of his observations was this. All of the respondents said it was not their academic experience that they remembered. Instead, the most valuable experience to them was their time with Americans and the opportunity to experience life in America. Imagine the impact if believers took the initiative and reached out to those students, inviting them into their homes and their lives, not to show them what it's like just to be an American, but what it's like to be in Christ Jesus. The tragedy of that survey is this, that 80% of international students never see the inside of an American home. And of that 20%, I wonder how many actually see the inside of a Christian, Jesus-loving home. I mean, like, what a tragedy that, that they come and they go out of places that we probably couldn't even take the gospel or it'd be really hard to get it there. And it's not just, it's not just international students and refugees, but, but that presents an incredible opportunity without even leaving your home. But what about your neighbors and your coworkers? I think sometimes it's almost easier to share with maybe a refugee than it is to your neighbor who you've lived next door to for a long time and they've seen your questionable behavior. <laughs> and you're not sure if they really want to hear Jesus, but it'd be awkward to see them as frequently as you do if that goes poorly. But that's part of it, prayer and welcoming in your neighborhood at work, at your school. Um, I want to invite Wendy Warnock to come up and share what God has been doing through her as of late. Um, as most of you are aware, on, on Tuesday mornings at 6.30 in the morning, we, we have a time that everyone's welcome to of prayer in the point. And, um, and uh, Wendy has been there pretty faithfully. Um, and we've been tracking along with a story of what God's doors that God has opened for her and, and what God is doing in her life um, and in her neighborhood through her. And uh, I am just so excited and have been looking forward to having her share what God is doing and how he's using her. And, and I said this last, last service, um, and I wanna make sure it's clear. I said, um, it is easy, I find it way easier for me to prepare a sermon and speak up here than it is to do what Wendy's doing. <laughs> And Mark Hahn, after the service, said, oh, sure, it's easy for you to go and speak in front of people. And I was like, well, that's not what I meant, but <laughs> I get it. That'd be hard for maybe some people, but, but for me, what Wendy's doing, man, like that's a, that is a stretching thing for me because it includes my time and my life and interruptions. But I just want to say I'm just so thankful for you, and you are so inspiring and encouraging for me. And so, Wendy, why don't you share with us what God's been doing? And um, let's welcome Wendy up here as she shares with us. Well, first of all, I was raised in a church um, in Spokane, Washington, that was a very missions-minded church, a very sending church. A lot of young people that I grew up with went out to the mission field. And so that's kind of where that seed was planted in my heart 
Um, we did missions trips in the summer, anywhere from Mexico to Canada. I mean, we just went a lot of places to help and serve and share the gospel. Um, and then those missionaries that were on the field would come home and share with us, and we were always so excited to be a part of their story, to hear what they were doing, and, and to hear the answers of prayer as we had prayed for them all that time. Um, last summer, I was able to um, go on a missions trip from here to Guatemala with a group of friends from here. Um, had a wonderful time, and um, just I was, I was amazed at how much joy it brought me to be serving somebody that couldn't serve themselves, uh, needed food just to get by. And I was, I was just so filled with joy and it really piqued my interest from that, those early years of really feeling God calling me to that. And um, I, didn't, I didn't realize how much joy that was gonna bring me. Um, so I got home from the trip and I just kind of started praying and saying, uh, Lord, what can you do with me at this age and stage of my life? Um, going off to the field in a long-term thing didn't seem like a, a practical thing. Um, I've got responsibilities in Modesto, little guys, little grandsons that I watch. And um, there, was a, there was a vacant house across the street from me and I, I did wonder, you know, it was empty for a while. I wondered who would go in there, who would live there. And um, one day, <laughs> a, an Afghani family of 10 moved into that house. A father and mother and eight children um, moved into that house. And I just thought, oh, this is it, Lord. I've been asking you and this is it. You're, you're bringing my calling across the street. And um, so as they were moving in, I, I dashed over there and um, in my excitement, I wasn't thinking about any kind of language barrier. I was just saying, we are so happy that you're here. You'll, you'll fit right into this neighborhood. You'll be safe here. We'll take care of you. And um, they were kind of looking at me and I thought, oh, I'm just some crazy lady who doesn't know that they don't know English, you know? <laughs> but I think they just saw the excitement of, my excitement of them moving in and being there. Um, so I asked the Lord where to start. I, you know, I had all this education and things that I knew I needed to do, but I didn't, then I didn't know what do I do first? How do I take a step? toward welcoming these people into America, into my neighborhood. And um, one day I looked over and the, a lot of the women were standing in their front driveway and they were pointing at my house. And um, I had seen them through the window, I think, and I went out and I, I didn't understand what they wanted, but they were smiling and pointing. So I walked across the street and um, introduced myself to the best of my ability. And then I was... Um, asking, you know, we were, we were smiling and nodding what, what you do when you don't speak the same language, you know, being very friendly. And they kept pointing at my house. And I said, yeah, that's, that's my home. That's where I live. But they wanted to go across the street. So we went across the street. What they wanted was some flowers out of my garden. And um, so I went back and got my clippers and I, I cut a bouquet for them to take home. And they were just ecstatic. We even walked around to the backyard to see if there were flowers back there. And, and we, there are, and we cut more. And 
that I thought, okay, well, I crossed the street. <laughs> I cut flowers. I just, I just was really dependent on the Lord to show me the best way to reach out to them and to reach their heart. So um, that friendship has grown. Um, with all those kids, there's two little boys that play soccer out in the street, and they come running over to my house a lot. <clears throat> and one day they came over with a flat soccer ball and knocked on the door and excitedly said, you have pump? <laughs> and I said, no, I don't have pump. But I, I, I had a friend that I was meeting for dinner um, that week, and I was telling her all about it in my excitement. And she said, I have a pump that I carry in my car. You can use it. So I took that home and plugged it into the lighter in my car and uh, we pumped up the, that ball and they were just ecstatic. They ran off and then pretty soon one of them turned back and said, thank you. And then they ran off and played soccer. <clears throat> my little grandson wants to be their friend so bad. He's only three and a half and I, I won't let him play soccer in the street. So, um, <laughs> but he wants to so badly and he talks about Jalal and Fawad and um, it's becoming a part of his life as well, to wanting to play with the boys and wanting to um, actually to pray for them as well. Um, so sadly, a couple months ago, um, the father was in a very, very serious car accident. He'd gotten a job in Tracy and was riding home as a passenger with uh, several other guys that were working there. And um, it, was, it was a very bad accident. He was hurt very badly and um, they had to metaflight him to a doctor's hospital from wherever the accident was. And as sad as that situation was, it opened a door wide to be able to reach out to that family. He was the only driver in the family. And uh, they all, they had so many needs of doctor's appointments, dentist appointments, grocery store, um, and to and from the hospital. And so I was able to, to step into that and just drive them where they needed to go, where they wanted to go. Um, they go to the grocery store every day. <laughs> they go to the market because there's a bakery in the back where they make their bread. And, but it, it, I got to know them in a personal way because they were in my car and we were driving. And even though the language was a bit of a barrier, one of the boys had learned English quite well. And so I could communicate with him. And um, it gave me opportunity to pray over them. Um, they let me pray over them in the name of Jesus. The father, uh, one of his injuries was a, he fractured his scapula, this side, and ribs. And so I put my, I said, may I pray over you? And he said, yeah, and I put my hand on his left shoulder. No, 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 over here. He wanted my hand where the injury was. That, that told me something. He, he believed in what I was doing. And so um, the wife was out in the hall and kind of distraught as well. And it was so amazing that they were happy to have me pray over them. Um, and the other situation was we were looking to get the medication that his father needed. They didn't have it for us before we left the hospital, which we told, were told later was important. And so we went from drugstore to drugstore trying to get this prescription for him and, and got turned away every time. So at one point, as we drove into the, to the drugstore, I put both of my hands in the air and I said, Lord Jesus, you've got to give us this medication. We need it really badly. And he was saying, my father is sick. He's very hurt. Somebody has to help us. 
And um, after that incident, he said to me, I pray to Allah, who do you pray to? <laughs> uh, they're very staunch um, Muslims. So it's just been a wonderful opportunity to um, befriend them, to share with them, to do anything we can do uh, to meet those needs. And the Lord has opened doors left and right. So um, I, I wanna make sure you know, he's home from the hospital now, he's gonna be okay. Um, still recuperating, but um, just just to have the opportunity to pray and serve and meet those needs, it's it's brought a closeness that wasn't there before. So that's so awesome. Thank you for sharing. Um, prayer and welcoming. That's all. Um, sometimes we're like, well, how you know, like how do I how do I disciple? How do I get into discipleship? Just pray and be willing to receive people. Sometimes they move in right across your street, right across from your house. And it's not always gonna be that. And you don't have to have special skills or anything, you just need to be welcoming. And to think, I mean, there's so much more to that story with what Wendy has been involved in and able to do and, and the relationship that's being built and really the influence that she's gaining with this family and, and um, the familiarity with which all the kids see her as, as Kind of their grandmother. Yeah, well, they, um, he was talking, the father was talking to his cousin back in Afghanistan, and his cousin said, they miss their grandparents. They see her as a grandma, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, yeah, so I mean, that's, that's what God does, and that's how he moves. And so um, I just wanna encourage you this morning that as, as God is the sending God and he sent us, he also sends people to us. And that whatever stage or season of life you're in, whether you're like the Daubs and have, you know, kids in your house and, and, or, or if you're Wendy and you're um, living in a house by yourself and taking care of grandkids, that, that there's, no, there's no boundary too big to stepping into serving and loving and being part of the mission of Jesus all around us. Just having our eyes open and, and being willing to pray, even with a little faith, it's effective. And so um, as, as we close this morning, I just wanna um, share with you, this, this month, this January, we've, in, we've invited the church to join together and, and be um, reading in Proverbs, a Proverbs a day for each day of the month. And we're coming to the end of that right now. And so we wanted to do that because we want to help you and us together to establish spiritual rhythms. And so it's been the rhythm of meditating on scripture and reading scripture and keep doing that. But in February, we wanna shift it into inviting the church into a spiritual rhythm of prayer. And so starting on February 1st through the 13th, we want to invite our church family to be praying and specifically praying that, that we pray for ourselves of, hey, God, where are you sending me? Who have you sent to me? If you're not sure what that looks like, then be praying and asking God, who, what, what are you, where are you supposed to be? Are you supposed to be here or somewhere else? Is he sending someone to you? And be praying, 
how can I be involved in sending someone else and helping someone achieve what God is calling them to do? And if you're like Wendy and you're doing exactly, you know where you are and you know who's sent to you, maybe that prayer for, for February 1st through 13 would be, God, how can I be more effective? How can I continue to hear your voice? And, and I wanna be close to you. How can I obey without question? And how can I keep moving forward? And then the February 14th is when, when Lent starts. And we wanna invite the church into kind of continued prayer and fasting. And what we wanna be the focus from February 4th through Easter weekend is that we would be focusing on um, the lost, um, whether they're here and they have a name and they're people that God has placed on your heart or they're people that you haven't identified yet, but you're praying that God would move and bring salvation in the lives of those both here in our neighborhoods and in our community and, and far, far away. And so we wanna be doing that spiritual rhythm this month of February, focusing on prayer. Because again, God, there's no movement that we can see in, in church history that hasn't been, been, been happened after prayer has happened. And so we wanna be praying in that, in that way. So we wanna invite you into that. You'll get more information about that next week. Um, but Wendy, can I ask you to close us in prayer this morning? Father God, we thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for um, the faithful teaching of your word every single week and the incredible time to worship together as a family. Lord, we, we go out from here just wanting to know where you have us to be. Who do you have us to talk to? I know that, that we have a mission and a calling and you're so faithful to lead us to that. Help us to, to walk in obedience to not only ask you and listen for your answer, but to walk in obedience and move forward with the gospel wherever you take us. We love you, Lord, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.